It's in the prayers of Molly's sons I'm going to sing you song. They are a noble body to her that do belong. They are a noble body, they're sturdy, stout and free. They can root out all the fenders and plant the laurel tree. Hibernianism comes first and foremost at all times. At no time would we be a social club entirely. We're controlled by and organised by Hibernianism and motivated by Hibernianism. Well, friendship, unity and true Christian charity is, a, is what we put forward. And friendship will mean the hand of friendship to everyone. To everyone. True Christian charity will mean that we don't only give someone a shilling passing by, but you go, you visit the sick, if you know there are sick, if people have been hurt through troubled times, you try and do your best to ease that trouble and hurt. Or oh, there's a bit of patriotism attached to it too, you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's built on that religion, like opening the name in St. Patrick and closing it in it. And, well, you, you have to be a practically Catholic to be a member of it. The only thing you must be to be in the Hibernian order is a Catholic, good standing. You're not asked what opinions you have, as long as you keep yourself right. But uh, you must have some nationalist leaning anyhow, oh, must yes, you? Oh, yes, you do. It was on the 17th of March, the weather was calm and warm. And I rode for recreation down by the river end, where I espied a multitude of molly sons so gay, and their music would delight you while the ribbon bands did play. I remember the days the aviation back old town had a pipe band. And I, as I said, it was in it from Australia Road. Um, the other pipe band, it was supposed to be a temperance pipe band. But it was very good and funny. The opposition of the two bands, both one helped the other kind of thing. There was good competition it between them. There was good them. competition and it kept both alive. Mm. And of course the... The OH band is still going strong. Oh, it's still it? going strong. Yes, we're out on Sunday the march, and uh, everybody waited at the chapel till we arrived, and waited till we went away again, and were very appreciative of what our turnout. The ancient order of Hibernians would be regarded by many nowadays as a moribund organisation, certainly as one which has been steadily declining in recent years. However, it once was a real power in the land and engendered a good deal of controversy in its time, its critics ranging over widely different religious and political persuasions. 
In 1911, for example, after an attack on a meeting which had been organised by James Connolly in Cork, Cardinal Logue denounced the AOH, Board of Erin, as a pest, a cruel tyranny and a system of organised blackguardism. And Connolly himself said of them, They are the foulest brood that ever spawned in Ireland. Padraig Pearce, recalling the ultra-Catholicism of Sadler and Kyo in the 1850s, spoke of their linking of religion and politics in the campaign for home rule. Their narrowing down of nationalism to the members of one creed is the most fateful thing that has happened in Ireland since the days of the Pope's brass band. Later in 1915, when the Irish Parliamentary Party and the AOH had agreed to the suspension of operation of the Home Rule Bill and to supporting Britain in the war, Connolly said of the national president of the AOH, Belfast opponents of Joe Devlin usually refer to him sarcastically as the wee bottle washer, alluding to his position before he climbed into power. The sarcasm is pointless. A bottle washer was an honest occupation, but a recruiting sergeant luring to their death the men who trusted him and voted him into power is... Oh, well, let us remember the defence of the realm act. Needless to say, the ancient order of Hibernians was, and is, seen in a very different light by its supporters. James M. Dillon was its national president for a long number of years, and he was first elected to Doyle Aaron as an independent nationalist in Donegal with its backing in 1932. KOH had for generations been strongest in the nine counties of Ulster, and for that there's a long historical uh, reason. Uh, it is today strongest in the six counties and of Northern Ireland, and strangely enough in Scotland, where it's extremely uh, vibrant and active. But it still has a very substantial volume of support in Louth, in Monaghan, in Cavan, and in Donegal. And in 1932, that was even more the, the fact than it is uh, today. In the north, of course, you always had the sectarian element, and I presume that was one of the reasons why it was strong there, that you had this conflict always between orange and green. Well, of course, I don't uh, very much like the expression sectarian. It's a Catholic organisation, and I don't regard the Roman Catholic Church as a sect. I think it's the true church founded by Christ, and our separated brethren belong to a wide variety of sects, but uh, we are Catholic. The ancient members of the ancient order of Iberians are Catholics, but they had a political aspect. But their creed was summarised in the phrase "faith and fatherland," and it turned out, uh, in the context of history, that in 1905 or about that period. The ancient order of Hibernians associated itself enthusiastically with the Irish Parliamentary Party under the leadership of John Redmond. Uh, subsequent to the Parnellite split and the reunification in the United Irish League, and then uh, the long campaign which produced the University Bill and reached apotheosis in the enactment of the Home Rule Act of 1914. And throughout that period, the ancient order of Hibernians 
was a stalwart support of the Irish Parliamentary Party. Was that its strongest period? Yes, I should say it was. It was passionately convinced that the use of force was not the way to achieve the unity and independence of Ireland. It was equally passionately resolved to secure the unity and the independence of Ireland, and it was convinced that through parliamentary action that could be achieved. And they felt themselves abundantly vindicated when the Home Rule Act of 1914 was placed upon the statute book. Was the fact that it was a friendly society around the 1911 period, I think it was, was that a big factor in its importance around that time? Oh, for purposes of organisation, the fact that it was registered under the Friendly Societies Act was a great help in uh, spreading it, particularly in industrialised areas like the city of Belfast, the city of Derry, places like Dundalk, and very materially in Glasgow and the uh, urban areas in Scotland. Who was the greatest leader of it? We leave yourself out of it for a moment. Who was the person, you think, who left most mark on it? Oh, without doubt, uh, Joe Devlin. He was a phenomenal orator, both in the parliamentary sense and incomparable on the public platform. And he had a charisma for the people in the North, which was quite fantastic. The degree of faith and love that they had for him was typified by the fact that the day of his death, up to the day of his death, he was Member of Parliament for West Belfast, and no one could dislodge him. I think he was the only person who ever defeated de Valera, who contested West Belfast against him. That's so. And against that, of course, Larkin and Connolly had some very hard words to say about the AOH. Why were they so antagonistic? Did they think that the AOH was a highly reactionary organisation? Well, not at all, but Connolly and Larkin were communists. And, of course, the ancient order of Hibernians was irrevocably opposed to communism in all its forms, because communism is founded on the proposition that God doesn't exist. And the ancient order of Hibernians was founded on the proposition that not uh, only does God exist, but that the Roman Catholic Church is the church he instituted, and we all belong to that church. Well, surely and they was... rejected Connolly's political philosophy and Larkin's political philosophy because it was a communist philosophy. But surely there was more to it than that. Uh, it was the attitude towards the workers and towards uh, strikes, say, for one thing, that had a lot to do with it and as who well. Who do you imagine constitute the membership of the ancient order of Hibernians. 90%, if not more, of the ancient order of Hibernians are working men and their wives and families. Uh, it was never an organisation of the sophisticated or the elite. It was, uh, to this day, 90% of the membership of the ancient order of Hibernians are working men and their wives and children. The AOH was indeed never an organisation of the sophisticated or elite, and that is true whether one traces its origin back to the defenders of the 1798 period, to the Ribbon Society which followed, or to the St Patrick's Fraternal Society which took over from the Ribbon Men in 1825, when the latter had incurred the censure of state and church alike. The rules of St Patrick's Fraternal Society 
show the connection between it and the AOH, and so does the charter which, in 1836, allowed the establishment of branches of the Fraternal Society in America. The qualification for membership must be as follows. First, all members must be Roman Catholics, Irish or of Irish descent, and of good moral character, and none of your members shall join in any secret societies contrary to the laws of the Catholic Church, and at all times and in all places your motto shall be friendship, unity, and true Christian charity. The Hibernians of today have the very same motto, and they still have the same religious exclusiveness, but as James Dillon said earlier, they don't like the label sectarian. Frank McCabe, president of Division 58 of the AOH in Belfast. Well, it's purely a Catholic organisation, simply because when Hibernianism started, Hibernians were there for protecting the priests and the clergy when they were saying mass in the penal days. So therefore, it has come down from that. But really, sectarianism, I can't see that it is sectarianism because if people from other religions wants to come into this hall and enjoy our social activities, they're welcome. Well, what about politics now in the present northern situation? What political creed do you put forward? Well, we... We ourselves don't follow any political party. We don't give our backings to any political party. What each individual member wants, he does. If he feels that he should go for Labour or any other organisation to vote for, he does that. But we ourselves have no political entanglements. And I feel we're all the better for that because we can get up and say our piece and we're not afraid to say it, believe you me. When we go to these demonstrations, we'll let the people know what is happening in Northern Ireland. Well, now that's another thing. The demonstrations are said to be modelled on the orange men and wear sashes and have banners, all that sort of thing. How would you reply to that criticism? Well, I wouldn't say we're modelled on any anything like that, the orange men. The orange men have their own way of going about life. But during the period, it is given out that there's to be no dancing with the banners, wave... Or, or anything like that. You you walk along, you go to the wherever you're having the meeting, and you, the speeches are made. But I wouldn't say we're modelled on the orange men, and we have been known to be called Falls Road orange men. But thank God, I can say we're anything but it, because as I say, there's not many organisations have the charitable instincts that the Hibernians have. Many old Hibernians feel that criticism of them has been unfair. 74-year-old Paddy McGreevy of Armagh, president for years of 505 Division Ballycrummie, thinks that their fellow Catholics should have been more helpful and understanding. Well, we stuck to the old Irish party. And, um, well, now which never... Uh, they never were recognised much by, the, by our side at all, hardly. As a matter of fact, they, they considered us more of a, well, of the orange man type, marching in bonds, you know. That, it's only always done that. Of course they did it once a year, not very often. Well, in a way, it was a sort of mirror image, as they say, of the orange order. It was, it was, but we never th- would think of that. We were, it was, uh, it was showing the strength of the, of the country and the way it f- felt that uh, it was only living thing going as the OH there, and there's nothing else, only the forces in us. 
there were no provision and there was no IRA or nothing like that. And, uh, and I, then the, the I, AOH I, had the, the organisation, they organised the oh, political we end. A, we had a good sovereign division. Furthermore, we had a bond and we held demonstrations Patrick Day and 15th of August. But well, the crowd never did that. They would have stood there just making fun of us, marching down the street. And we wore colours and uh, we had a bond, but I call me flute bond. Well, it was up it was up for years and it's kind of yet. Only we gathered them up and the way things are going, they didn't go out. So uh, I wouldn't say it's in existence now, but it wouldn't be hard to gather them up. The days when the Hibernians had much more influence than they have today are still remembered by politicians in the North. Eddie McAteer, leader of the Nationalist Party for many years in the old Stormont, is inclined to think kindly of them. I never remember them really as an aggressive organisation on the lines of the Orange Order, for example. Uh, there is a tendency, you know, to uh, departmentalise and to, uh, to pinpoint uh, individuals. And I found that the Hibernians... Uh, even when they had a powerful organisation, they were Irishmen very much like ourselves. I mean, they weren't isolated or they weren't peculiar beings simply because they were members of the AOH. Well, the, the Nationalist Party in the North obviously inherited some of the traditions of the old Irish Parliamentary Party. Did they also inherit some of the traditions of the AOH, do you think? I don't think so, except insofar as the AOH uh, had... Uh, you know, a, a love of uh, the fatherland, and that's a th- uh, an aspiration that I would be uh, proud to claim as a uh, as a nationalist. Uh, I think they had a they had an influence, all right, but uh, their chiefest influence, was, I think, was the fact that in isolated districts they held together a sort of a a, a national pro-Irish organisation, a survival kit, if you like, by which our people continue to live. And they also, in practical terms, had uh, had halls where people could meet and where political meetings could be held. And in fairness, I'm bound to say that although there was no association, no direct association or formal association between the Nationalists and the Hibernians, yet I must say that I always found them very, very helpful to what were their common objectives. Well, now, it was regarded, uh, probably still is to some extent in the North, a necessity for a successful unionist politician to be a member of the Orange Order. Was it equally necessary for a Northern nationalist politician to be a member of the AOH? No, very far from it. This is one of those things that's long about by unthinking and people who do not know their subject. In fact, in all my time at Stormont, there have been only two men uh, in our party who were identified with the ancient order of Hibernians, and that was the late Senator Jerry Lennon and uh, Joseph Stewart, the MP for East Tyrone. And there was no there was no formal link at all, but as I have said at the outset, uh, there was no need for that. So many of these people, I mean, they have their critics and so on. We have our critics, we all have our critics. But they were good, solid Irish people uh, bent on the business of surviving in the, in, in, the, in the face of unionist oppression. And I give them all honour for that. Whether the links were formal or not doesn't matter. We had a common survival problem. Uh, their value to me always was that, although I didn't uh, like this sort of uh, uh, counter-orangeism of, or green-orangeism, if I might say that, I didn't like the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the pirouetting and that, all that sort of thing. That's uh, 
doesn't uh, lie to the heart of a shy man like myself. <laughs> but uh, disregarding that, uh, I keep on saying that they, they were very good Irish people whose hearts and whose, uh, were in the right place and whose faces were in the right direction. Well, would the sectarian basis, which it obviously had, would that have been a contributory factor to the present-day divisions in the North? Not at all. Uh, everybody slings this word about this sectarian about. If you if you happen to say that I am a Roman Catholic, you know this means uh, immediately seems to mean in the new parlance that you are sectarian. Uh, we were sectarian. We were Catholic, and so on. So were so were they. But my God, it was uh, simply sheer defence and and uh, and an instinct for survival. If uh, Catholics are being beaten about the head and being oppressed and so on, is it sectarian to say that this is a wrong thing? That seems to be the new thinking. It was in 1838 that the ancient order of Hibernians got the title which it has today, and it came from America. The name Molly Maguires, as applied to members of the order, apparently originated a few years later, when, according to one authority, stout, active young Irishmen in women's clothes blackened their faces and otherwise disguised themselves to surprise those employed to enforce the payment of rents. Their victims were ducked in bog holes, and many were beaten most unmercifully. An official account of the ancient order of Hibernians, its origin and record, says that Molly Maguire was the widow of a Catholic tenant farmer in County Antrim, evicted to make way for a Scottish planter, and restored to her holding by a band who called themselves the Friends of Molly Maguire. Molly's friends have appeared in many other places apart from the Antrim Glens, and their exploits live on in tradition, as, for example, in a ballad about the shooting of a clerical magistrate from Crossdonian County Cavan, who had caused many of the Mollies to be transported to Van Diemen's land. Pat Owen is my name, sir, and County Latham is my place of fame, sir. And we are the Molly Maguire. We tried to free old Ireland as a nation, but for one imp, a hell of a then the magistrate be stationed. When I heard this, I thought them flat that wouldn't join our cabination. Lots were drew to hell with the crew, but it wasn't, didn't fall upon my lot, sir. But two cross I took my way to meet the parson bell, sir. I took straight aim just at his brain and come down your limb of hell, sir. What may rigging them do to hell with the crew will help to free our nation. And Molly Sundrick... Molly McGuire's Molly Sons was sold and guns and free me from being taken. That's it. Well, there's more. Now I'm only giving bits of it. <laughs> the Molly Maguires were strong around here, were they? They were, Well, the Hibernians were dubbed the Molly Maguires. Uh, the Hibernians were mostly the Molly Maguires. Aye, they were the Molly Maguires, you know. Do you know how they were called the Molly Maguires? I don't know. Well, this lassie, she was a spinster, she never married, and she was a dependable lassie. And she lived on the borders of Mead and Cabin, in a very isolated part of the country. A very dependable lady. And they met there from Maid, Westmead, Cabin, and Latham, and everywhere, at her house, to plan the campaign. So... They decided to call the society after that, and they called it the Molly Maguire's her name. The organisation known in America as the Molly Maguire's a hundred years ago was also associated with violence, in particular with the bloody conflict between Irish workers and the mining bosses in Pennsylvania. Many members of the AOH in America sought to get away from the unsavoury image left by events like these. 
The Order's constitution in the States was amended in 1884, and there followed the inevitable split, which was to last until 1898 in America and into the early years of the present century in Ireland. The Irish-American Alliance, as it was called, continued the more militant tradition and even sponsored a group known as the Hibernian Rifles, which took part in the 1916 Rising. The Board of Erin, with a new constitution and with Joseph Devlin from Belfast as national president from 1905 onwards, gave its support to the Irish Parliamentary Party. Sean McEntee, afterwards to become a minister in an Irish government, was born in Belfast, and he remembers that his father, a Parnellite, found himself on the opposite side to Joe Devlin. The anti-Parnellite organisation, which at the beginning was the dominant one, was known as the Irish National Federation. And uh, Joe Devlin, who was a really splendid auditor, uh, had uh, become secretary of, of that organisation. Now, I'm talking from recollection, and I haven't any documents before, but I think I'm right. In any event, he, he emerged as the leader of the anti parnellite organisation in, in Belfast my father on the other side, with some others, and particularly with uh, a man, a very forceful speaker called, uh, called uh, James Dempsey, uh, who also was a, a publican in Belfast, uh, formed a ticket under the auspices of the Catholic Association, which was composed, the ticket was composed entirely of men who were uh, Parnellites, and uh, they were opposed at the election for the, for, uh, for the reformed Belfast Corporation, reformed under the Local Government Act of 1898 by Joe, Joe, Joe Devlin and a number of others of what were called Federationists. Sean McEntee entered politics in Belfast as a supporter of James Connolly, who, as we've heard, was anything but an admirer of the AOH. The Sinn Féin of Arthur Griffith and the Dungannon clubs of Bulmer Hobson were beginning to influence many of the younger people. But as we heard earlier, the AOH found a new source of strength when it was recognised as a friendly society under Lloyd George's National Health Insurance. The fact is that the, the, close, the, the, the power of the Hibernians became... Uh, very, very definite indeed, following following the, the establishment of uh, national health insurance uh, system in, in, in Great Britain and in Ireland, because every, Hiber- every secretary of a Hibernian uh, branch had the possibility of being an employee under the national health insurance scheme. They also seem to have been very well organised socially. They had a lot of clubs and uh, places where people came together. They had bands, all that sort of thing, halls. Oh, oh. yes, well, they were, see, but, but that, that's because, uh, again, I would say that, that much of the credit of that is due to, 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 to Joe Devlin, who, who, who had worked, who did recognise, you see, that 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 the 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 they, 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 uh, just as the union their unionists opponents in 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 Belfast were very highly organised through the Orange Order to the various um, 
uh, temperance societies like the Rechabites and uh, the Oddfellas and a number of other queer um, de de designations, uh, he saw that the a social bond could become a, a political bond, and he set out to try and establish uh, to, to 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 establish this sort of nexus between 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 uh, the members of what would be uh, threefold, I suppose one could say, a friendly society under the national health, uh, a, a social club, and a political organisation. Joe Devlin died in 1934, but he is still remembered in Belfast, in a small terrace house in Logan Street off the Falls Road, for example, where faded photographs of him are much in evidence. Mrs Minnie Stewart is treasurer of a ladies' division of the AOH, which meets once a week. I joined the division 2071, Belfast Division of the Ladies' Auxiliary, over 40 years ago. And previous to that, my mother was a great supporter of the Hibernian Order and Joe Devlin. So it ran in the family then, did oh, it? Oh yes, it ran in the family. Was it strong then, 40 years ago? Oh yes, very strong. We had divisions all over Belfast at that time. Was the Ardoin division, there was the one from Bellamy Carrot, there was one at the markets and the Falls Road and Hannes Town. And there was ladies' divisions attached to all these male divisions to help out. But there's not so many now. Joe Devlin was alive at that time, was he, when you yes, joined Yes, he was. And you remember him well yourself, do you? Oh, yes. From when I was a child, I remember him. Yes, he worked very hard and he was the cause of the... Uh, mill workers getting shorter hours and better pay and everything. He fought very, very hard for the workers. There used to be a lot of conflicts between uh, Joe Devlin's supporters and supporters of Connolly and Larkin. Why was that, do you think? Well, it was just that we always looked on Joe as a labour man. I mean, knew that he was fighting our cause in Westminster. And that was the reason that the people here resented that, you see. Anybody going up against him. Frank McCabe, the president of Division 58 of the AOH in Belfast, whom we heard earlier, is a shipyard worker. We met him one Sunday morning a few weeks ago in the AOH headquarters, the hall in Clonard Street. This is largely a social club, dominated by a painting of Joe Devlin and illuminated addresses to him during his years of office with the Order. One of the achievements of the Hall is, of course, simply to have survived the destruction of the last few years on the Falls Road. Yes, thank God, thank God. It has survived the troubles and we've had a lot of trouble on the road, but this all have had windows broken. Well, knocked about a bit, the roof, slits off the roof, so we've always been able to carry on and never miss one night of opening the Hibernian Hall. And what sort of activities have you here at the moment? We have billiard teams, snooker teams, dart teams, and we have social life is dancing at night, and 
musical entertainment on Saturday, Sunday and Friday nights. And you can get an odd drink in it too, I believe. It's a, a registered club for the sale of intoxicating liquor. Well, you yourself are going to attend a meeting now. What sort of things will you discuss? Well, everything at, in general. First of all, we'll uh, open the meeting with the usual prayers and so forth. And we'll, uh, in the true Hibernian style, we'll open the meeting. And then, of course, of course, we have uh, the minutes of last week was read. And there's a discussion, a full discussion on the minutes. After that, we have the sixth-year's report. That is, we'll have a sixth-year who anybody sick in the division, they'll, uh, he goes around them and visits them, and he'll give his report, and after that we'll have a report of the management meeting, which we also have every Sunday, and a full discussion on that. After that comes general business, there's a full discussion on general business, anything that has happened in the hall in the week that has gone past. The old criticism of the AOH as a semi-secret society has been rendered largely irrelevant with the greater emphasis today on social activities. Even though the acting national president since the death last year of former Senator Gerry Lennon is hue news of the Social Democratic and Labour Party, the involvement of the Hibernians with politics has steadily declined over the years. Frank McKay began. We lost that political influence when the late brother Devlin died because, as a politician, there was no one to come anywhere near brother Devlin. And as president of, of the Hibernians in Ireland and Scotland, brother Devlin, the late brother Devlin was a politician, a king amongst men, as a politician. When brother Devlin died, the political wing, I would say, faded. And we have no political ties now. But even on the social side, AOH activities have declined greatly in recent times, particularly in country areas. Paddy McGreevy of Ballycrummy. The hell nonsense, not now. Uh, they didn't renew the licence. Well, there's no use in renewing the licence when they won't come out. Yes, that's um, so. And it's shut. It's shut, not again the members, but, but again any amusements. We haven't, we haven't had licence. I used to pay for it there and get a form, but I didn't do it this two years. No use in paying money when you're having any amusements in it. We had a barn there, but it cracked up. We had a barn for years and years. Had a crummy barn, flute barn, for years. You see, this trouble business done a lot of harm there. They wouldn't join it there, the whole of it. They'd all join the, the provisions. We had a good division, but it's down a brave bit down now. But we're still there. Many Hibernians have been drawn to the organisation by its bands and banners, parades and pageantry, and there has even been a revival of demonstrations, as for example in Feeney, County Derry, last St Patrick's Day. James McNamara of Ben Burb in County Tyrone is one of the many people who joined the AOH because of family tradition and because of the band. Well, my father before me, he, he was connected with a division, 88 Akhtara. Well, I only seen Akhtar Bond once. Uh, they were coming from some function. When I was brought to hear them, they were coming over uh, the Ramsallan Crossroads playing the boys of Exford. And I, I remember that they were, even this very day. That was even long before I joined the Blackwater like, Bond myself. And I remember that. I can see that yet. Mm. Well, people uh, often joined the AOH 
because of the music or something like that? Yeah, well, it was the, the band. Young people that time hadn't the same recreation or places for recreation. And, uh, a band was an attraction. And there wasn't so many bonds at that time. As, uh, although every hall had a bond written up, but we had a travel now. Walked to Blackwater Town to get training from a man named Eddie Hart and our ma. But people wouldn't worry about walking in those days. Oh, not at all. They'd yeah. never worry about it. And but, there were numerous uh, divisions of the AOH all around this part of the oh, country. Oh, you had, you had, sure, you had a division in, we'll take Blackwater Town, still existing. But then you had Charlemont. And just across the river, you have Moy and Liz Tomlet. Well, they are finished now this past few years. And then you have, and still in County Armagh, you have Cloven Aden and College Land, out of existence, plus on a more. So there's other ones. You have Bellacrumby, 42 in Armagh, eh, Madden, Corn, and Bellacrumby. Still functioning and still a fair share of active members. And of course, the AOH have halls, which is a they've big all, asset. They've all halls. Uh, uh, unfortunately, just uh, for today's functions, uh, they've been no good there on the small side. And another obstacle in most of the small halls is to having the equipment for s- uh, sanitary arrangements and uh, therefore they don't get a license yet with doors open and all the regulations which the fire authority control now. But it would still be useful as a social centre for oh, meetings and oh, you're coming turn, together of uh, any have, sort. You'd have a wee private social, even nicely, for your, your own party if you wanted to. And some of the halls are used even by various government ministers? Oh, yes, yes. Our hall is used in a good number of years for... Uh, Minister of Social Services, Health health and Social Services, and uh, as well as that was used as a doctor's dispensary for a while. So the ancient order of Hibernians survives, but has it any future? The simple answer might be that given by Sean McEntee. I I think in our present day, present day conditions. There isn't any place for a sectarian organisation or for any any organisation which has a, of a sectarian caste. Hibernians generally, however, while accepting the hard facts of life, do not see the end as yet. I wouldn't say it's finished, no. Uh, but it is wearing out. You, it's hard to get any young fella because that applies to many organisations. Young people won't join. But uh, it is more or less, as I said before, a, a sort of a family organisation at the moment, uh, ancestry type of thing. And James Dillon sees a definite future for it. Oh yes I do, because to this very hour you will find that even in the most disturbed areas of Northern Ireland, if a family or a boy or a girl are approached by any of the uh, arms-bearing factions those who believe in violence and uh, war, uh, to join. The moment the boy or girl replies, there's no use asking me, I'm a hib. Strange enough, no matter how extreme the applicant is, they will accept that at once, that if they're old Hibernians, they'll have nothing to do with the shedding of blood. And so they they don't press them further.